If you agree, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, loved ones. It's really, 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 really good to be back together again. We do not, I pray, take this for granted that we can gather as the church. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we're in verses 16 to 20. So kids, Matthew chapter 28 is the first book of the New Testament, all right? So go to the first book, Matthew, and then to the end of the book, that's chapter 28. These are the last verses in the book. And if you do not have a copy of God's word, then make sure you put your hand up nice and high because our ushers are coming forward right now and we want to put a copy of God's word in your lap. Don't be shy, put them up nice and high. Hey, that's a good jingle, huh? Don't be shy, put them up high. Uh-huh, come on, love that. I love that. All right, so Matthew chapter 28, 16, to 20. And last week, last week we kicked off our ministry year, and what, a, what an incredible weekend that was, um, with the theme from Zechariah 4.6 of, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so everything, Lord willing, every uh, sermon series that's coming up this year is gonna flow out of that theme, and we see that theme all throughout the Bible, so it should not be difficult. Um, but here's why this theme is so important, because we need to be crystal clear on something if we're gonna understand it and therefore live by it. And you'll see it on the screen. Reminder, Hope Ottawa, the work of God can only be accomplished by the power of God. I'll say it again. The work of God, the kingdom of God advancing on earth in our lives and through our lives, the work of God can only be fulfilled by the power of God. The mission of God can only be fulfilled by the power of God. And that is so crucial that we lock into that today and in the days ahead. And that's why we're kicking off this eight-week series, kicking off the ministry year with this eight-week series where we're gonna look at what is the work? Everyone say, what is the work? What is the work that God has entrusted to us? as his church. Not just Hope Bible Church Ottawa, but the universal church. What is the work that God has entrusted to us, his church, and, and what he calls his church to uphold? What is it that God calls his church to uphold through his power if they are to see his mission fulfilled? Okay, question as we start off today. What is the, uh, if someone were to come up to you on a bus, maybe on the construction site, in your workplace, in your classrooms. Hey kids, in your classrooms, if someone said to you this, they said, you go to church, you're a Christian. Okay, what's the purpose of the church? What's the purpose of the Christian life? What would you say? Do you have an answer, loved ones? What is the purpose of the church? What's the mission of the church? Here it is. We'll say it in a sentence, and you'll see it right from the text today. To glorify God, say it with me, glorify God by making disciples. 
There's the mission of the church. To glorify God, how? By making disciples. This is why the mission statement of this church, I know when you walk in here and you see that banner, many of you probably didn't even look twice at it today, but this is why it's at the door. You see right here, our mission to glorify God, God's glory, not our own, through how? Through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Everything that we do in Hope Kids right now, by the way, do you hear that shout down there? Do you know what they're, do you know what they're doing today? Talk about making disciples, huh? They're talking about the walls of Jericho coming down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go disciple making, right? Pray for those Hope Kids teachers right now, all right? Glorify God. So everything we do in this church Everything that God has entrusted to us, why we gather for worship services, why we exhort people to join service teams as Christ exhorts his people in Ephesians 4 and all throughout the Bible, Romans 12, you look everywhere. Why we do small groups, why we do biblical counseling, why we do leadership training, doctrine and discipleship classes, why we do worship, why we have men's and women's ministry, why we have youth ministry, Why? It's all going towards this end, to make disciples. That's the purpose. The church is not called to be some social club. It is called to live on mission and make disciples. And this is so important because there's a big problem that you and I face. And us as a church and churches around the world there is an increasing mission drift happening in the church. Do you agree? There's an increasing mission drift happening in the church across this nation, in this city for sure, and across this world. And an increasing number of believers individually and entire churches are pursuing the mission or the path of the world. You see it and I see it. They are pursuing the mission and path of the world and abandoning the mission of God to the world. And what's the result? Just look around. The only only result that it can have, division, distraction, fruitless and powerless believers and churches through whom the glory of God is absent and the glory of the world is the priority. That's the only place abandoning the mission of God will take you. But I want to encourage us. If you look at the odds, you're like, yeah, but it's, this world is increasingly dark and there's lots of opposition. I want to encourage us, loved ones, with this truth. It doesn't have to be this way. God help us. It doesn't have to be this way, church. And this is why we got to lock in and commit to this right here. This big idea that we're going to unpack from our text today. Write this down. This is crucial. You see it on the screen. Jesus gave us one mission. And we must make disciples. Jesus gave his church one mission. And we must make disciples. There's a big idea. Everything we do flows out of this right here, to glorify God by making disciples. And here in our text today, we're gonna see three truths we must hold fast to if we are to be faithful in fulfilling 
his mission in his power and see his kingdom advance for his glory. You ready to read? Hey, kids, you got your Bibles open? Really hoping so. Yeah, yeah, Matthew chapter 28. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. And we are going to read Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Nice and loud. Let's go. The Great Commission, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hear the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, first off, we see right here, Jesus has given us one mission, but we must trust in his authority. We must trust in his authority. This is where it's all flowing out from. We must trust in his authority. See, here's the truth. Jesus has all authority, but the question facing you and I today is this. Will you trust him and submit to him? Will you trust him? and submit to him. Let's get our context right from the text right here, verses 16 and 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, look at the two responses. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Okay, where's this going down? Northern Israel in Galilee. You see a map there? There we are in Galilee, all right, at a mountain. And Jesus has been crucified and has risen again three days after that and over the last 40 days. So Jesus has rose again and now it's at the end of this 40 days that he has been appearing to his disciples at various times to confirm who he was as the Messiah, the Savior of the world and the Son of God who is King over all. So it's been 40 days, okay, since Jesus' resurrection. And now verse 16, you see right here who's with him. Who's with him? Did you get it from the text? Eyes in the text. Jesus had directed his 11 disciples. What are you saying? I thought he had 12. No, there's Judas is not with them. Judas, remember, betrayed Jesus and he hung himself in his grief. So he has directed his 11 disciples to head to Galilee and that he promised he would meet them there on the mountain that he told them to go to and that they would see him. You say, where's that? Well, it's verse 10 of Matthew 28. Check the text. Okay, he said, go to the mountain and I will meet you there. And then verse 17, you see here that when they do see him, they've got this mixed reaction. The disciples have this mixed reaction. You get some, right from the text, who worshiped him. Now the term for worship there means to prostrate oneself. To prostrate oneself on bended knee. It is the posture of reverence, which should be our posture for all our worship, by the way. Reverence before our king not flippancy. There's the posture of reverence, allegiance, and submission. But you notice, here's the other half of the equation. You see how the other reaction was? But some, what, say it, say it, some doubted. 
We've got some who are doubting. You're like, wait a second, they're the disciples. They've seen him appearing for the last 40 days. What's the matter with them? What's going on here? Now let's get some clarity. This is not a, the term doubted there is not a settled disbelief. Like I'm not believing this, see you later. I'm not doing, no, no, no. It's not a settled disbelief, but the Greek means to waver between two positions or to hesitate. Like, I want to believe, I do, I, I just like, I can't get over it. And you say, what's the problem with them? Well, don't forget, 40 days ago, they saw Jesus thrashed to death. He was dead. They saw his flesh ripped open to the point where Isaiah says he was beaten beyond all recognition. How would you feel? Let's cut him a little bit of slack. Like down there, like, what does all this mean? And, and, and you're alive, but what are we doing on this mountain? See, Jesus brought them here because he would be leaving them soon, leaving them right after this. And he was giving them the mission that he was entrusting them with and giving them their instruction on how it was to be accomplished. See, the great commission here is the what the mission of the church is, and the how the mission is to be lived out. Jesus gives one mission, but he also gives how it is to be fulfilled. All right? And that's the blueprint he's laying out here. And it is called, look at the title of the text, go back just above verse 16. It's called the Great Commission. Now, here's what I would like you to do. If you're one of these people who writes in your Bibles, like me, you can just see that. It's, anyway, maybe later. I want you to put brackets beside the Great Commission. Just put a bracket and write, this is not the Great Suggestion. (laughs) This is not the Great Suggestion. It's not, hey guys, maybe you should do this. Unless you find a better way of doing it. Hey guys, maybe you should um, do this. Unless the culture doesn't like it. Then you can go to your own ways of doing things. It's the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. There's one mission. And it's not up for your opinion or mine to determine what that mission should be and how it should look. There's one mission, not a suggestion. And what is a commission, by the way? The Greek word commission there means a mandated charge given by one who's in authority. It means, here's what it means, listen up, church. It's a mandated charge given by one in authority. See, but before, notice what Jesus does here. I love this. I love this text. What Jesus does here before giving any direction of how this is to be done or even what the mission is, notice what he starts out with. Not direction, but jurisdiction. He gives his jurisdiction because why? Because the the ability to have faith in him by the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us all hinges on us remembering and believing that Jesus has all authority. The mission hinges on that truth. If we start, that's why Satan works so hard to get you to doubt the character of God and the position of God. Because if that starts to go, the mission erodes. He starts by giving them and declaring his jurisdiction. Did you catch it? Look at verse 18. Let's go. And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority, circle authority, we'll get back to that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Greek word for authority there, you'll see it on the screen because it's so important. Hey kids, isn't it cool? Like you can go to school and you learn French, maybe you learn Spanish, maybe you learn English. You come to church, you learn Greek. Uh-huh. Come on, are you guys fired up? Are you fired up? Yeah, that's right. Okay. We're learning some Greek here. Authority, here's what it means. To have unlimited, absolute sovereignty and power with universal jurisdiction. Awesome. That's our God. When Jesus says all authority has been given, here's what he's saying unlimited absolute sovereignty and power and universal jurisdiction over every molecule of this world and universe has been given to me. Let's break this down because maybe you've read this. If you've been a believer for a while now, you may read that and be like, yeah, what's the big deal? What does that actually mean that Jesus has all authority? What does that mean? Let's break this down. Put it on the slide for you because this is very, 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 very important. It means one who has total or complete authority and sovereignty, get this, I'll go go slow, in every second of every hour, of every year, of every decade, of every century, over every part of every thing, in all of heaven and earth. Here's what Jesus is saying right here. He says, disciples, I have the final say. I have all authority. And so here's what it means. It's been given to him by the Father. All authority over what? Let the word of God minister to your hearts right now. I pray this is so refreshing and encouraging for you. Number one, over all creation. John 1.3, John, it's not 1.43, it's 1.3, okay? So John 1.3 says, all things were made through him, that is through Jesus Christ, and without him was not anything made that was made. Every single fiber and molecule and cell and drop of blood in this world, every rock, every blade of grass, every leaf, every flower, every pet, Every man, woman, and child is all under the authority of our King, Jesus Christ. Including you and I and how we are to use our lives for him. Jesus, here's the reality of Jesus having all authority. It means that you and I don't just get to use our lives how we think we should. We don't get to say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord, and then go do our own thing. The fact that Jesus has all authority says we live how he calls us to live by his power increasingly at work in us. We renounce having authority over our lives and submit to his. Here's another one. Jesus has all authority over creation, but he also has authority, here's what that means, over life and death. Over life and death. I love 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. But praise be to God who gives us our victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, death, where's your victory? Mm. 
Don't have it. Why? Because Jesus has all authority and has defeated you. Amen? Let the truth of God's word, let sound doctrine just wash over your heart right now. Fire up your faith. Mm, Come on. All authority over creation, all authority over life and death. Here's what else this means. Jesus having all authority over every nation. Proverbs 21.1, over every nation. You know, I'm driving around, I'm going and walking on my prayer walks around our new neighborhood in, in Orleans, and I'm seeing all these election signs. And I pray this is encouraging for you too, that when you see the election signs, you don't be like, oh, that candidate or this one, I hope they, you just say, Jesus thinks that you have all authority over that. And you're gonna take care of business because you have the final say. Let every one of those election signs stir you up to pray and to greater faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Over every nation. Proverbs 21.1 says, the heart of a king is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it any way he wishes. The Lord's in control. Rest. Rest. Here's what else it means. Jesus has all authority. He has authority over every situation and outcome. Hey, is anyone going through a hard situation right now? Maybe just me. You're going through a, a situation that's stirring up a little, maybe some anxiety you're tempted with or, or discouragement or hardship. Maybe it's a health issue, a work issue, a family issue, whatever it is. I, just go back to Isaiah 46 time. Here's what it says. The Lord declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying, ready for this? My counsel shall stand. My ways are going to go. And I will accomplish all my purpose. Why? Because Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth. How about this? Here it is. Times and seasons. He has authority over all times and seasons. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.1, I love this. It said, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. God controls life. God controls death. God controls uh, new beginnings. God controls when doors close. This is why you and I, like even verse two of Ecclesiastes three, it says uh, there's a time to be born and a time to die. That's why you and I don't get to play God on when the time to be born is and when the time to die is. We don't get to play God and decide that. There's a time given by the one who has all authority, who holds life and death in his hand. Amen? We don't get to decide that. He does. And it is right and good how he works. Here it is, all authority over the church, Matthew 16, 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How can he say that? How can he promise that? Because he has, say it. Of course he can say it. Because what he says goes. He has all authority. All is subject to him. Now just look around today, loved ones. Does this give you confidence? Does this give you comfort? When you see the, the coming out of this pandemic and whatever wave we're on now projected to come and all this stuff. When you see conflicts around the world, when you see chaos, 
When you look at elections around the world, look at the, knowing not only that Jesus is sovereign, here it is, here it is, but that he's good. That he's good, he's perfectly just, he's perfectly wise, he's perfectly loving, and he only works for the good of those who love him. Does that give you confidence in him? To fulfill the great commission. See, Jesus is sovereign with all power and authority, but the question facing us is this, will you trust him and submit to him? Because here's why that's such a crucial question each day. You see it on the screen. Who or what you say has the authority will be your priority. Who you and I say has the authority will be your priority. And so today, you look around, we live in a world that increasingly scoffs at any authority, and the idea of submission is increasingly intolerable to people. Because the only authority we want to trust in and submit to is ourselves. We want to have the last word. But the question we must answer daily, church, is this. Eyes up here, eyes up here, right here. Whose authority will shape your viewpoint and ultimately have your submission? Whose authority will shape your viewpoint? Right here, eyes up will shape your viewpoint and ultimately have your submission. Whose authority will shape your viewpoint in your marriages? Because if you're gonna be the final authority in your marriage, it's just gonna go really bad. It's just gonna go really bad. Whose authority will you submit to in your parenting, in your families, with your plans, with your job, with your, in the classroom, students. In the, here's, here's a big one. Whose authority will shape your view when it comes to the counsel you get about situations? Are you going to people, are you going to the word of God first and submitting yourself under his authority and not twisting it to be like, well, I wanna do this, so I'm gonna like pick and choose a verse to kind of bend it to the way I want. We're good at that. Or are we going to say, Lord, what do you say about this? And then go to godly counsel from people who fear him and will counsel you through the word. And not just be yes men and yes women. Oh, yeah, you should just go. Whose authority is shaping our view and has our submission in the counsel we get and give? How about us as a church? You know, as elders, I look at Kevin over here and I speak on behalf of our elder board, was in a meeting on Wednesday with them, loved them so much. Um, But the truth is this, church, uh, we've given our lives. We've just given our lives to steward the entrustment of this mission on earth, faithfully in submission to Christ in all of our weakness and imperfection. Why? Because no servant is greater than their master. John 13, 16, no servant is greater than their master. We submit to Christ, we don't tell him to submit to us. And the first step, you'll see it on the screen, the first step to living on mission for Christ is to trust in the authority of Christ and not put yourself or anyone or anything else in his place. And submit gladly, and ready to obey what he calls us to. See, Jesus has given us one mission, and we must trust in his authority and submit to him. And based on his authority, as we submit to that, here's what it means. 
If we're serious about Jesus and believing that he has all authority over our lives, it means we commit to his mandate. We commit to his mandate. The mission of the church, loved ones, is to make disciples. Here's the question facing us. It is this, will you commit to this mission? Will you commit to this mandate? Go back to the text, verses 19 and the first part of 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, after Jesus declares his authority to the disciples, he gives the disciples the mission of the church that he's entrusting them with and us today. And how it, he tells them how it is to be carried out. Notice verse 19 starts out with this. Go, therefore. The therefore is key. That's a conjunction word that connects it to the verse or the verses before it. Okay? So he says, based on my authority, based on my sovereignty over all things, and that you don't have to fear, I can't be stopped. What does he tell you now? Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, what's all nations? Let's get our context right here. In our context here, it means not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles. All people, races, ethnicities, skin colors, socioeconomic status, position, ages, whatever. Make disciples of all nations. Now, if we're gonna, if we're gonna be clear and commit to this mission of making disciples, we have to be absolutely clear on what a disciple is. Would you agree? Uh-huh. That's right. Let's get some clarity. Next slide. Disciple is this. The um, Greek word for disciple that Jesus uses here is mathetuo. Want to try that? Let's go. One, two, three. Mathetuo. All right? It's a specific word he's giving here, and it means this. One who, disciple, ready? One who progressively learns God's word and is increasingly obedient to the lifestyle it requires. There's a disciple. You never hit your disciple ceiling. You and I on this side of eternity will never get, I'm the best disciple, I've arrived. Are you kidding me? Just ask your spouse if you think you're there. Then, then ask your kids, and then just go ask an honest friend, okay? So here's the reality. It's like progressively learns the word of God and is increasingly obedient to the lifestyle it requires. It means this. Let's break this down. One who is growing in maturity as a Christ follower so that their relationship with Christ, get this, increasingly permeates every part of their lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Their relationship with Christ is increasingly permeating it 24 hours a day. It, it means this. True disciples are not like, well, I'll turn on my disciple game when I get to church on Saturdays, but Sunday to Fridays, I'm doing my own thing. No, 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 no. A true disciple is increasingly growing by the power of the Holy Spirit and progressively learning God's word and living it out in every part of their lives. There's an increasing abiding in Christ, remaining in his word, in prayer, in obedience, and a rooting in sound doctrine through his word, growing into his image, and by the power of the Holy Spirit being established in their faith. And I want you to notice something about this text. Go back to the text that says right here. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Notice what the text doesn't say. 
Go therefore and make disciples unless you're not a pastor. Then you don't have to. Notice it doesn't say, go therefore and make disciples unless you've never been to seminary. Then go get your degree and then start making disciples. Doesn't work. It doesn't say it. Here's another thing. Go and make disciples of all nations unless you don't feel qualified. Then don't worry about it. You're off the hook. Go and make disciples of all nations unless it's out of your comfort zone. Then let someone else do it. It's okay. Go and make disciples of all nations unless you're afraid and anxious to go share your faith. Then just, it's okay. Just, just shrink back. Someone else will take care of it. Are we getting the picture? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all believers. See, here's the key we have to understand from verse 19. Being a disciple means you make disciples. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Being a disciple means you make disciples. Jesus did not save you and I so we could just learn a bunch of Bible knowledge. He says, work it out by making disciples. Being a disciple means you make disciples. Whether you've been saved 10 days, whether you've been saved 10 years, whether you feel equipped or not, whether your job's on the line or it's not, whether you're in a new city or you've lived in that city for 20 years, make disciples. So live in the text. Look at what Jesus just dropped on them. It's amazing. So here's these 11 disciples, and he's like, boom. How daunting would this commission be for you? How maybe, maybe today, how daunting is that for you? Just go make disciples, guys. Jesus has just commanded you to be his instruments through which he will build his church through and establish the kingdom of God on earth. Here's a boom. There you go. And by the way, I'm going. How would you feel? Live in the text. Would you feel a little confused? Like, uh... I don't speak that language. Loved ones, Pentecost hasn't happened yet. Uh, where do we go? Where do we start? When do we start? How? Help. Please help. How about you, but I'm thinking that if I'm on that mountain. I'm like, okay, you got all authority, but I, I, what's the game plan? despairing maybe like it's just too hard because you have to remember most of these disciples they're still illiterate did you know that most of them are just fishermen they're illiterate in fact in acts in the book of acts i love what peter and john are dragged before the council and it says they've seen that they were just ordinary men who've been with jesus do you know the greek term for ordinary there <laughs> the greek term is idiotai you can guess what english word comes from that there's the disciples. Just go make disciples of all nations, guys. I'm out. Peace. I, I'm feeling a little daunted right now. Maybe a little fearful. Maybe you're feeling the same way. But I want to encourage you to serve with confidence, loved ones. Serve with confidence in the Lord. Because here's what Jesus is saying right here, based on the therefore of his authority. He says, success of this mission, church, is not based on your skills. It's based on my authority. 
This mission will succeed because my authority ensures it will. It's not based on your abilities. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. I'm really thankful it's not based on my abilities. He says, my authority ensures it's going to succeed. And you may say this, well, how has Jesus commanded us to make disciples? Well, we see right from the text. Let's go. Write it down. Make disciples. Three ways. Proclaim. It starts out with proclamation. Salvation through Christ alone. Look at 19. Go back to 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15 fills out this statement a bit more, and it says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. That's where it starts. Proclamation. It means, and again, the term go there, not surprising, it means move. From one place to another, it implies sacrifice, which our flesh is recoiling at right now. That's exactly what it means. Go, therefore. It's not Go when you feel like it. Go when it's comfortable. Go when it's convenient. Go when you've got every detail planned out and you can see how everything's going to happen and you've got control. And and go when the cost isn't too high. Go when the critics are silenced. Here's what he says. Our king says, go. Go. Go across the street. Hope Ottawa, there's people right across your street that if they died tonight, they would end up in hell. Go into your families. Go around your dinner tables. Family devotions. Go, go play in Legos with your kids. And I mean, she doesn't get much traction in our house, but I don't know if your girls are into Barbie or whatever. But like, like just, just go when you're playing Legos. Go when you're doing these things. Go in the classroom, students. Go overseas if God calls you there. Go to the grocery store and make disciples. Go serving in the church and making disciples. Go in your workplace and declare. What are we declaring? What are we proclaiming? Right here, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin, the result of that sin is death. They don't understand the beauty of the gospel, the good news, until they hear the bad. Otherwise, why would they think they need a savior? We can't water down the bad news in fear of we're going to turn them off. The wages of sin is death. But, but while, Romans 5.8, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his only son out of love for you, out of love for me, and for every person on this planet. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth as fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived a perfect life, sinless life, was never deserving of death. A sinless life for 33 years. And he went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And the the greatest penalty of sin is death and separation from God in hell for all eternity. And without salvation in Christ, that's where we're headed. But, but, he rose again, defeating the power of sin and death three days later. Amen? And Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You shall be saved. There's the good news. There's the good news. And therefore, as a result of salvation, Romans 8, 1, 
There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They are justified. They are made right with God. They have a relationship with God and peace with him and will have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. There's what we're called to proclaim. Are you committed to go? And here, if you're here, hey, eyes up here for a sec, loved ones. If you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a moment between, honestly, this is a moment between you and the Lord right now. Forget everybody else in this room. This is just you and Jesus doing business right now. And believers, if you're saved, I want you to close your eyes. I just want you to start praying right now. But for those of us who aren't, it's time to do business with Jesus and say, will I recognize that you are the Son of God? Will I recognize that you are the only Messiah, the only Savior, and that apart from you, I'm headed for hell? Jesus has not brought you here by accident. And if that's you and you're like, I want a personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ. I want eternal life. I want the forgiveness of sin. I want him and submit to him as my Lord. I want you to pray this along with me. Don't do it for me, but let me help you. I want you to pray this right now. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And that the wages of sin are death. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as payment for my punishment. I repent of my sin. It means I turn from my sin. And I declare that Jesus is my Lord. And I profess my faith for salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for your grace, forgiveness, peace, and the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, don't, don't keep that to yourself. I'll be up here. Our leaders will be up here. We would love to talk with you and help you and give you some resources to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. That is the best decision, life-changing you could ever, ever make. But believers, if you've made that decision, here's for us. Are you committed to go? Are you committed to go? Committed to making disciples through a life of gospel proclamation. And you may say, I'm scared. I'm fearful of what the repercussions could be for me, my job, my family, my reputation, all of this. Can I just, can I just encourage you with this? You say, I won't know what to say. I, I don't have the words. Here, here, here it is. Pray. God is not looking for your ability, remember. He's looking for your availability. Pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, you've promised to give me the words that I need in the moment that I need them and step out in faith and obedience. I choose to trust you. He's looking for availability. Proclaim salvation through Christ. Here it goes. Making disciples leads to this. Baptize, baptize for identification with Christ. So we've got proclaim for salvation first, and then baptize for identification. Go back to the text, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Here it is. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The word baptize there, the Greek word circle that, it's baptizo. Okay, baptizo. And the reason I'm going into these Greek words, you're like, man, like, wait, Greek lesson. The reason why is because it's very important. 
each of them. They are used specifically in this text for a specific purpose. And baptizo means this, to submerge or immerse. To submerge or immerse in water as a symbol, as a public declaration of one's faith in Jesus Christ that they've just made through hearing the proclamation of the gospel. See how that works? Go and make disciples and then baptize them. It's not be baptized and then later on confess Jesus or be baptized and that will save you. Mm -mm. We see it so clearly, loved ones, in the text. I want there to be no confusion here. We see it so clearly in the text. Baptism doesn't save you. It never has. It never will. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can do that. Baptism doesn't save you. It's not a means of salvation, but baptism, right from the text, is a means of identification that publicly declares one's new life in Christ. And the symbol is this. They go under the water. You're, you're not breathing, right? I, at least I hope not. You're not breathing, and it's a picture of Christ's death, burial, and then they come up out of the water, and it's his resurrection, it's the new life they have in Christ. That's why we need to be saved before we're baptized. And it's the inclusion in the body of Christ, the symbol of it. Now, I want you to notice this. Baptism is commanded by God to be the first step of obedience after one has repented of their sin and confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's the first step. Notice this. Believe, be baptized. It's not saying... Well, I, I think I need to wait until I'm sinless. I think I need to wait till I've, you know, cleaned myself up a little bit and more presentable before God. I need to wait to get baptized until I know more of the Bible. No, here's what it is. It's saying, my king has commanded it. He has authority. I'm his child. I will obey. I'm not going to wait. It's not based on my work. It's based on his work in me. Let me ask you a question, loved ones. Have you taken the step of obedience for baptism? It's a step of obedience. It's a command. Baptize. Be baptized. If you're like, you know what? I've confessed Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I haven't been baptized. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go onto our website, like right after the service tonight, and you'll see on the resource page a guide to baptism, and it's this book in PDF format. I want you to download it and start working through it. Sign up for baptism on our website, and one of our leaders will be in touch with you to help you walk through it, to help you answer these questions. Okay? Why do you wait? The command is clear. For everyone who is truly saved, don't wait. Lastly, if we're going to make disciples, we see must proclamation through Christ, baptism for identification with Christ, and then here we see it right from the text, verse 20, we teach. We teach for maturation in Christ. Look at verse 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The word teach there means to provide ongoing instruction in Scripture. It's not like, okay, I did my part, now I'll just leave. No, it's ongoing instruction in Scripture through our lips in proclamation, but in our life as an example. To see a person 
Observe, that means to obey all that Jesus has commanded us through his word. See, true disciples do not pick and choose the commands of scripture they wanna follow. Yes, I will be saved, but I don't need to get baptized. Let's not pick and choose. A true disciple says teaching to observe all that I've commanded you. Right? We don't pick and choose the hard stuff. Yeah, you know what? I know God doesn't want me in sexual sin, but it's more convenient just for me to live with my partner. Really? Really, loved ones? I know now I'm called to walk with integrity as an image bearer of Jesus Christ, but you don't know my tax situation. Really? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, why? To see them increasingly conform to Christ's image as they obey him by his power of the Holy Spirit at work in them. See, we, here's what we gotta realize. You'll see it on the screen, church. In the Great Commission, the end goal is not conversion through Christ. The end goal is not just to see people saved. It's the end goal is not conversion. The end goal is conformity to Christ. The end goal is conformity. Growing up, Ephesians 4, 15, into every way into him who is the head into Christ from one degree of glory to the next by his power that works within us. Amen? That's the mission. Increasing conformity to Christ. When there's increasing conformity, there's increasing unity. There's increasing holiness. There's increasing purity. There's increasing love. There's increasing faith. There's increasing strength. That's so much more. That's so beautiful of the gospel on display. This is why Titus says, the con- uh, like radiant, uh, what is it? What is it? What was it? Talk to me, talk to me. Just the, um, yes, yes, yes. Adorning ourselves with the gospel. The Greek word is cosmetos there. It comes cosmetic. Adorn yourself with the gospel. That's what it's talking about. That's the goal. Conformity to Christ. Praise the Lord. To be a disciple is to make disciples. This isn't just for pastors and elders, the highly educated. Are you committed to this? What's your next step? Proclamation, baptism, and teaching. What is it? Who has God put around you to teach and model his word to? In your home, in your school, in your job, here in this church. Hope youth starting up by the grace of God. Guess what that means? We have a wonderful opportunity to be making disciples of the next generation. Let's go. We need more Hope Kids volunteers. We've got a little gap in ministry. We've got our preschool. We've got our nursery. What happens for our grades one to five right now? That's the next hole that needs to be filled. We need more Hope Kids volunteers. Step in, making disciples. There is nothing greater of your investment of your life than that. Invest. But here's the truth to do this, loved ones. We need to be growing in our walk with the Lord. You can't teach what you don't know and you can't lead where you don't go. We don't know God's word. We can't teach God's word. That's why we need to abide, loved ones. Filled up to pour out. Jesus has given us one mission. We must trust his authority, commit to his mandate, and finally is this, point three, we must trust in his promise that he will be with us. We must trust in his promise. See, Christ's provision for us is his presence with us. Will you trust he's enough? Look at the last part of verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and here it is, behold. That means pay attention, disciples. You're freaked out right now, but watch this promise. 
I am with you always to the end of the age. See, Jesus gives the disciples and us today the greatest promise that he could for us as we seek to be faithful and stay united in the mission that he's given us, that he will be with us. Here's what it means. That term right there, circle that. Here's what it means, with you always. It means I will be attentive to you. I got my eye on you, church. I will be in the company of you. I will be among you through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, who's the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8, verse 9 says. And that no matter how difficult the mission may be, no matter what opposition may come against us individually or corporately, Hope Ottawa, his presence will be with us right to the end of the age when he comes back and establishes his earthly kingdom. Aren't you so thankful that we have a savior that never does social distancing? Huh? Come on! We have a Savior that never does any so. Yeah two, th- yeah, two fists in the air. That's right. That's right. He never does social distancing. If you are saved, he lives in you. The power of the Holy Spirit. You have all of him, but does he have all of you? See, right here, Jesus is the provision for the mission. Jesus is the provision. He says, I'm with you. He didn't say, go and get a bunch of skills, go and get a bunch of provisions. He says, I'm with you. I'm all you need. If you have him, you have all you need. If we have him as a church, we have all we need. And by his spirit, we make disciples. And today, it grieves my heart. I was just saying this to Kevin earlier this week. There's believers in churches pursuing and depending on programs man-made strategies, flashy stuff, favor with the world, to try to make the church grow. All while forfeiting the hope and greatest provision that Christ gave us to see the mission fulfilled himself. And see, out of his presence, out of the presence of the Holy Spirit alive in us, here it is, right here, you'll see it on the screen. He says, I'm with you always, that means you will always have my power. Acts 1 I am with you always means we have his hope. Always, no matter what trial, no matter what situation you're facing, you have his hope. Here it is, here it is. No matter the pandemic, no matter the situations in this world, you have his peace. You have the strength of faith that he is ready to give you in that moment. You will have his grace. You will have his mercy. You will have his compassion. And he will give you that compassion for the lost. You will have his comfort when you grieve. You will have his comfort in the trial. You have his goodness. You have his joy and your joy would be complete. You share his joy that he has in the Father. Isn't that amazing? You will have his wisdom in those circumstances. You're like, what do I do, God? He promises his wisdom. You will have his truth. He will lead you into all truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, what's true? What's fake news? What's this? What's true? And the Holy Spirit will lead you into that. You will have his words given to you when you witness, when you counsel. You will have his discipline. And you're like, eh, discipline. He does it out of love to conform us to the image of his son. He, remember how we have this treasure in jars of clay? You know what that often means, God's discipline? He often breaks the pot to release the power. You will have his forgiveness when you sin. You will have his 
ongoing cleansing. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will have his protection. You will have his assurance of hope at all times and all things. You will have his provision. He promises to meet that need. You will have his satisfaction. You will know your greatest satisfaction. You will never, loved ones, you will never look at the face of Jesus and be disappointed. You will always have his satisfaction. You seek his face. You will have fruitfulness in ministry by the power of the Spirit. His glory will be your rear guard, Isaiah 58, 8 says. And you will have all you need for life and godliness. I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't look elsewhere for what you can only get in me. And this is not based on our merit, but on his mercy. See, Christ's provision for us is his presence with us. Hey, loved ones, will you depend on him and trust he's enough? One of my pastor colleagues, Adam Bailey, respect him very much. He said this, confidence in Jesus depends on your belief in the capabilities of Jesus. Is that slide still up? Yes, it is. There's some, a snapshot of the capabilities of Jesus. Confidence in Jesus depends on your belief in the capabilities of Jesus. And we need to start right here and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm so tempted to wander. Turning from fear, turning from anxiety, and who or what we're depending on, and trust his authority, submitting to it, committing to his mandate, making disciples, and trusting in his promise of his presence, knowing that through his power at work in us, he will be glorified through the fulfillment of the great commission. Press on, Hope Ottawa. These are glorious days for the gospel. Press on. Nothing can stop him. Jesus is our king. This is our mission. And by his spirit, we make disciples. Amen? You in, church? You in? We're about to respond. Let's go to prayer first. Let's rise. Let's rise as we go to prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the king. You have all authority in heaven and on earth given to you by the Father. Jesus, you are the head of this church. What you say goes. I thank you that you have not left us on our own to try to bumble our way through how to live faithfully. You've given us the blueprint for the what, but you've also equipped us for the how. And so it is in your name we come before you as a church saying, Christ be magnified in us. Christ be magnified in our witness. Christ be magnified through baptisms. Christ be magnified through teaching of your word from one generation to the next. And great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. And so I pray that as we hear this word, we wouldn't just leave it here, God, but you would press it in our hearts, Holy Spirit. And Lord, you would show us where do we need to take our next step right now to make disciples the ministries you've entrusted in this church, in our homes, in the communities around, where do we need to make disciples? What step are you calling each person individually to take? And I specifically pray for those people who've never been baptized yet, that today they would hear your voice just to say, why do you wait? You are my disciple. Follow me. And so Lord, as we respond now, I pray they would not just be words on a screen, but an anthem of the heart that longs to love you, to know you, 
as our greatest joy, our greatest treasure, and see disciples made of all nations from this time forth until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, let's get ready to sing real loud. Let's go.